Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. What happens to us when we die? This question has been amplified by the disasters of recent years, including the ravages of COVID-19, monster storms and floods, and the daily horrors of wars around the world, particularly uh, with the victims of Russia's cruel bombing of civilians in Ukraine. What happens when they die? Asking reminds us again, well, what happens when we die? The questions at the heart of today's growing interest in near-death experiences as new techniques of resuscitation reveal thousands of new NDEs each and every day. And since afterlife has been the sustaining hook for most religions, since the beginning of time, there are vested interests vying with each other to sell their versions of the answer as well. Now, here's a spoiler alert. NDE Radio has no agenda in the answer to that question, but there are some general conclusions I feel free to make. One, that our consciousness continues intact once our body dies. Two, there is a community of light and love that is available to us on the other side. And three, we have the free will choice to embrace that love or not. And that choice is determined, at least in part, by how well we have grown in our ability to love here on earth. One proof of the reality of near-death experiences is how they impact the lives of those of us returned to our bodies. Sometimes it's immediate, where people change their focus by changing jobs, relationships, religions, or by maturing their generosity and their compassion for others. Some take longer, decades in fact, to process what their NDE informed them about themselves. They may experiment with psychedelics or meditational techniques, turn their journals into books, or turn to matrix theories about the virtual reality of this world as compared to the real reality of the next. Some get drawn to conspiracy theories of evil loosed on the world, while others yearn for the community of love envisioned by the Back to the Land movement of the 1960s. We are all individuals, and our NDE visions of the other side and how they affect us in our daily lives are as personal as can be. Myself, I believe the whole truth awaits us on the other side. But until then, at NDE Radio, we are interested in hearing about all your NDE adventures. Our guest today, Yvonne Nachtenegal, turned her attention to writing after battling a brain tumor in 2011, and she earned a degree in journalism in 2021. Other roles in her life have included being a homeschool mother of two, a ministry worker, graphic designer, and assistant to her husband, tour manager Michael Nachtengal. She worked on several of her husband's tours, including the Christian band Petra's Back to the Rock tour, for which her husband was the band's manager as well. Yvonne is author of Glimpse of Glory, describing there the onset of her brain tumor, her resulting NDE, and her theories of science and the occult, which evolved when she returned. Yvonne Noctigal, welcome to NDE Radio. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our conversation and your story, especially. Yvonne, in your book, you write, as a child, I loved to sit with my mom and listen to her stories about growing up in East Germany mm -hmm. during World War II. Her father, your grandfather, was a, a Lutheran pastor who was part of the Confessing Church movement in Germany yes. that protested Hitler and his Reichskirche. He was arrested by the Nazis a total of four times for speaking the politically forbidden truth. And when your mother was only 12, he died as a result of his weakened health from those imprisonments. So if you would, tell us a little about your grandfather, his fight against fascism, and your early life in Hamburg. Well, what I know about my grandfather, you know, obviously I only know through my mother. I never was blessed enough to, to meet him. But um, from everyone who knew him, um, he was an incredible man. He was a man who loved the truth um, and gave his, ultimately gave his life for it. 
Um, my mom tells of her mother constantly saying, Teo, just be quiet. Teo, just be quiet. But he, he could not. He could not. He saw the evils. He, he knew what was really going on with Hitler and the Nazis. Um, they, I know they, they sheltered um, a number of people in their home, um, which I, I believe at least one I know of was, was actually found and arrested. That was actually a, a Nazi um, relative that they sheltered after the war, but he was found and arrested. Um, so he was very active in the in the um, the in what was going on politically there. Um, of course, my mother was a child, and so she didn't hear too much about it. But she did um, know that he was involved with a coalition of pastors, and um, knows that it was the one famously headed off by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and that these pastors very much spoke out against Hitler and his Reichskirche, which was, you know, the, that was the legal church. It was the government church and it preached only what the government allowed it to preach. Mm. And these pastors who were mostly Lutherans, it's pretty much what Protestantism was in, um, in uh, Germany yeah. would, you know, this, this is not the gospel. This is not Christianity. You know, and yes, yeah, so he was. He simply spoke from the pulpit about it, and was known to be very vocal about it. And Mom remembers him being hauled off to jail. She's got a little book. We put a little book together of hers called Pachwitz, I remember, and one of the chapters in it is called "Hauled Off," where she would see it, the um, police come. Well, they weren't the police; they were the Gestapo. They weren't mm. actual police. Come to the house and just haul her daddy away. And I guess it was a practice. I read, I read about this actually. It was a practice during those times to put an infected prisoner in with the populace um, as a method to quell dissent. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And so he came home very sick and died very shortly afterwards. It was likely tuberculosis, but, you know, wartime and whatnot. I don't know if they even had an um, official diagnosis. But yeah, he came home sick and you know, it was their primitive germ warfare, more or less. But I think, you know, as a result of that, uh, my family is keenly in tune to, you know, we, ha we have our finger on the pulse of what's really happening in the world uh, beyond what they're just presenting us on the news or, you know, what public, yeah, there's a, we know how evil the world can be how evil rulers can really be and what they can really do. Yeah. It seems that 70 years is about the time it takes for the population to forget the horrors mm -hmm. of the previous 70 years. And right. we uh, seem to be forgetting the, the horrors of World War II of Mussolini and, and Hitler yes. and embracing fascism once again and the bigotry that goes along with it. Exactly. So, Yes, that's exactly wow. where we're headed now, but on a, um, from what I'm seeing on a worldwide scale, it almost seems as though what happened before was just like they, they were trying it out, you know, on a small scale. And, and now it, I just see the entire world being um, swept into that direction. You know, and people are afraid of communism and you know, yes, that has its evils. There's no question. I mean, my mother always says, you know, the Nazis were um, brown, wore brown uniforms because she was a little girl, right? And, yes. the, um, and the Russians wore red. So to them, they were colors. They were, to her, they were colors. It was brown, there was red. Hmm. But it, it was the same spirit. What it meant was starvation. Yes. What it meant was no shoes. What it meant was mom crying in the kitchen because she couldn't feed her children under both regimes. So, you know, and she's mom says, and today it's green. Mm. Today it's green. And it's this worldwide, um, you know, under the guise of ecology, under that net, they're trying to implement these same restrictions. As a little girl, were you in Hamburg till the age of five? Do I have that yes. right? Yes. And what was it like there? Uh, it was right after the war, yes? 
Let me see. I was born in 57. So now you know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> so it was 12 years after the war ended. but uh, <laughs> It was it was a bit after. Yeah. So I did. Were, were there still damaged buildings and the like? Do you remember? Yes. The, any yeah, of the bombing, yeah. uh, you know, the um, results of the bombing? I was too little to really, you know, uh, remember any of that. Um, yeah, I've just I've got just spotty memory from that age. In your book, you say, I love the pictures of Jesus in the German children's Bible my Oma yes. had given me. Yes. I loved God. I loved Jesus, even though we weren't a church-going family. I knew who my grandfather was because my mother spoke so highly of him. I felt like I knew him. I loved him. She spoke so often of him. Mm -hmm. She was daddy's little girl. She loved her father um, and was so proud of him and missed him so much. So she talked about him a lot. And I believed in his God, you know, and when Oma sent the little picture book, oh, you can get me teared <laughs> up here. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I remember Oma sent me the pictures book. I couldn't have been six when I had that little picture Bible and couldn't even read yet, hardly, but just the pictures in it. Um, I knew who Jesus was and I knew he loved me and I would literally, yeah, tear up. Just looking at the story, just seeing the pictures tell me the story. Now to take a great leap forward to a sadder time. In your book, you write, as the tumor grew in your brain, you had symptoms such as reaching for the door handle of the refrigerator and not being able to find the door handle. Tell us a little right. about that, and then we'll go on to when you're in the hospital. Okay. Yeah, that was after I'd been feeling bad for quite a while. I'd had a terrible fatigue and been to doctor after doctor who um, they tested my blood. They tested everything but my brain just kept pretty much telling me I was imagining it or it was all in my head. Didn't know how really all in my head it was. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, there was one night in particular, it was in November, in November when I, my hand, I reached for the refrigerator door, but my hand shot off to the left instead. That's a frightening thing when a limb doesn't obey you, you know, mm. and it, it just, it was as though I was not in control, something else was in control of my arm. It horrified me. I mean, the chill, the, it was like ice ran through me. I was horrified. And the instant that that happened, I heard a voice, and it it was not audible. I did not hear it in my with my ears, but it was as clear as bell, mm. and it it spoke into my mind, and it said to me, "Soon it will be clear, then it will be over." Wow! And I knew I further knew that this wasn't just some imagination of mine because. The minute it stopped talking, I was flooded with a peace that I can't describe. Just, I mean, almost like I grew lighter. And I shouted to my husband, who was just in the family room there, and I told him what had happened. I said, Mike, 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 something's really, really wrong with me, but I just, something just told me it's going to be clear. Some, I will know, you know, because it had been seven years of symptoms becoming exponentially worse the mm. past few months. Um, and that piece that came that day in front of the refrigerator, that evening in front of the refrigerator door, never left. That was there with me stronger and stronger up to the moment that I went into surgery. Yeah. You can if you if you've got some of the photographs of me in the hospital, you can see I am so full of joy. My friends are saying, "Boy, they were giving some really good drugs in there, weren't they?" <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't that. Oh. It was something else. Well, you write that when your blood pressure was high, you were in the hospital at this point, mm -hmm. and you say, "I knew I had to calm myself down and reach for the only comfort I knew, God's word," and I started to recite scripture. Yes. And then in parentheses, you write, and I agree with this completely, here's a good argument for committing scripture to memory. Mm -hmm. When you need it, it's there. <laughs> yes. Yes. That and 
worship songs, you know, just little things I've learned throughout the years in church and hymns and but scripture, mostly scripture, just any, didn't matter which one. If it was a scripture and I remembered it, I recited it. That particular incident was the morning of my surgery. Mm. It was about four o'clock in the morning. They woke me up. My blood pressure was high. They were trying to, you know, whatever it took to get me ready for the surgery. And I, for the first time since the day in front of the refrigerator, the peace left. And I was terrified. And I wasn't terrified of dying necessarily. I was just terrified of I'm, the operation was terrible. I mean, they had to go in. This thing was three and a half centimeters. It was close to my brainstem. It was a very invasive surgery. And I was afraid of, of waking up and being debilitated or cognitively not all there or blind. I mean, he'd read all of these possibilities to me and so I could be prepared. And so just the terror of it came and and, and yes, that's all I know is God's word. And sure. I started to recite it. And I mean, Lee, it was, it couldn't have been more than a couple of minutes. And that that piece was back. I mean, perfectly intact, no fear whatsoever, mm. completely back where I was comforting people around me again on the way to the operating room. But, I yeah. think at that point in, in your book, it may be that you quote, uh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. From Isaiah. Amen. That's right. Yeah. Well, so then I'll take you to what you call a place that was completely foreign. Yeah. Yeah, so they wheeled me into the operating room. I high-fived the surgeon, told him he was going to be a rock star in there because I had this, this faith, this peace again. No matter what the outcome was, I knew I was all right. And I woke up, you know, I went under, and all of a sudden, all I know, I'm wide awake. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking around, and I'm wondering, where am I? What is this? This isn't, this is, it wasn't the hospital. It wasn't even this, this earth. It was, what is this? Where am I? And I think that the sight hit me first, the glorious lights and colors hit me first, but then almost instantly, whatever this place was, it was love. But love was not a concept there. And you can probably relate to this, right? Where, love was it was in the atmosphere it was like it was a tangible thing like it was in the air if that was even air there i don't know but there was a love there that was absolutely all-encompassing and overwhelming and it was the life it was the light that powered that everything it permeated everything um and uh, as I started, I, I was obviously you're just startled and you don't, you know, you're trying to grapple with where am I? And as I began to get my bearings, I noticed that this was actually an enormous wing that was holding me. It was a wing. And, and I, I reached down to, to touch it just like a child instinctively and didn't dawn on me until afterward, I didn't see my hand, you know, and, but I reached down for it and, and I've noticed my vision was perfect. I mean, I could see this being on if such a thing existed there, but it did not a molecular level. I could see the tiniest details of what flowed through this being, which was it, the way it struck me for whatever reason was it was all in one piece. It wasn't made of particles. Like, you know, like we know that we're made of molecules and cells and, and all of that. This, he was one piece. He was one creation and he, he was light. He emanated light. Um, he was the most glorious, beautiful, 
thing I can even begin to conceive of. It was glorious. Just it was just glorious. Um, and I saw there, there were like red fibers running through him. And, and I feel like everything that I saw, it wasn't necessarily that the physicality of it was what it was, like how we know things in this realm. But I think everything that was shown to me was for a reason. You know, it, it was all almost symbolic. You know how prophecy is symbolic. It was almost like we're shown what we're supposed to be shown and it has a purpose. Um, and I don't think I fully understand all of it today. I really don't. Um, but uh, yeah, that as I looked out, I saw this wing stretched. I mean, I, I often say, say in my office, the wing stretched at least as far as across to the house across the street. We're talking, it was massive. And um, I noticed um at the far end of it there was an enormous brown spot we were talking about this yesterday did you want me to talk about that yes but i wanted you to you talk about the colors it? too because oh, okay in your book you say you would have expected blues or purples but and the I'm colors not, were something else i'm not even sure why but for some reason maybe because of artwork i've always seen or pictures of heaven i've always seen i would have I was surprised. I would have expected the colors that I saw to be in the blue spectrum, you know, to be purples and blues. And those are what, you know, I guess associated with the sky too, you know, heavenly colors. But um, he was gold and auburn. He was warm colors with this, mm. you know, red vein running through him. He was like, like liquid, transparent gold. Um, there's nothing like it in this world to even compare it to. The closest thing might be a perfectly pure amber gemstone with yeah. with perfect veins running through it, but but it emanated light. It like molten metal, maybe, um, but translucent. Mm. Um, but he was not. Also, he wasn't. Um, just a spiritual being at all. You know, we, we also think of, of angels and the spiritual realm as just being ethereal or something. And um, he, what, he had substance. He was made of something. And although my hand could not touch him because I didn't have a hand, um, <laughs> he, was, he was solid. He was very real. Um, yeah. But there was some damage to that there, wing. There was, and I puzzled over that actually for a few years, that what that meant. Um, you know, initially when I took all of this in, I took it in like, well, like we experienced this world. I tried to translate it in the language and the vocabulary of what we understand here, which is all we know. Um, and it's taken some time, you know, as I've um, been able to put put it together more. So I knew immediately that, the, okay, there was this huge spot, the big brown spot on the wing, and it looked like he'd been hurt. It looked like an injury. And, um, and my mind flashed back to an incident. I mean, just a split second flashed back to an incident where I'd been in a terrible car accident. Mm -hmm. And um, after the car spinning out of control at 50 plus miles per hour on a bridge, um, it abruptly, suddenly came to, I mean, a halt as though it hit a wall, but it was a couple feet before the, the hitting the tree. And I mean, like I was sharing this with you yesterday, you know, I, I ended up on the floor of the car with the, you know, the, the steering wheel up around my neck. The impact was so intense. So it was as though I'd hit something. But when I managed to get out of the smashed up car and look, it had not hit anything. It, had, it hadn't hit anything natural. Mm -hmm. It had just stopped. And that, that just flashed through my mind for a moment. And then 
later, you know, I reflected on it, like, well, can angels be injured? And, you know, all of these kinds of questions. And, you know, and like I said earlier, I think it, um, it is, it isn't about that as much as it's about what he wanted to show me or what God wanted him to show me. That he'd saved that wound to show you yeah. at this later date. Yeah. Because he knew but this later know, date was coming. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That they do intervene in our lives. And I mean, if I think about every single thing about the experience, it, it was all a faith builder. It was all to let me know that number one, above and beyond anything, I am loved, I am fully and wholly accepted, and that he is here with me, I'm never alone. Um, and he's, he's here to protect me. And when it's his will to protect me, by golly, nothing is going to happen to me. So you're sitting on the wing, but you are, it mm -hmm. sounded like you were just wrapped in, in love, that it was all around you. I think you compare it to the way we love a newborn baby. Yes. That's the only way that I've been able to describe what it felt like. Best, I mean, I remember holding my babies mm -hmm. and just how it almost hurts. You love them so much, you yeah. know. Um, and that's the closest thing I could feel to, to imagine that love was directed toward me. Of course, I'm sure when I was a little baby, my mama felt that for me, but that was a long time ago, you know, <laughs> and the world beats us up quite a bit over the years, and we're not accustomed yes. to having that unconditional love. And this was that. It was complete and whole acceptance and love. And there was actually a moment where I thought of um, things, mistakes, things I'd done in this world that were wrong and um, bad, shameful, you know, and, um, but they literally, they had never happened. It, it, there was some sort of an, it's hard to explain that there was some sort of an awareness of them, but they just didn't exist. It's like, that's there. This is here and it isn't here. And, you know, and I, I feel like I, I really experienced my salvation in that time, in that moment. This is complete forgiveness, where it isn't just, oh, you're forgiven, but you still get to carry it around, the memory of it. This is, no, as far as the East is from the West, so far, you know, has he separated us from our sin. Um, that's huge. You know, when I, when I talk to Christians today who are, you know, worried about, oh, keeping all fessed up or, you know, uh, losing their salvation or following all the right rules and, and all these things. Um, I just feel like, you know, oh, I wish you knew, you know, I don't, I wish you knew just how complete your salvation is and you have a life now that you didn't have before. You know, your your faith gives you this spiritual life, this forgiveness, and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. It's said by some that uh, when God forgives you, the actual sin, the event itself disappears from history. That's literally true. Yeah, I, yeah, I actually experienced that. I haven't ever read that, but that's personal experience. I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You also have it in your book. You have a sentence I wanted to ask you about. Mm -hmm. I was able to see what I'd only felt in the physical world. Uh -huh. I was able to see what I'd only felt. Explain that. That was the. That was a powerful thing. The moment that the peace came over me at the refrigerator door. My refrigerator moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got peace at the refrigerator. Yeah, can you give me peace anywhere. <laughs> um, peace, peace and ice also, if you want. It. Right? Yeah. Oh, ice with your peace. <laughs> but um, that peace that carried me through all of that and all that, there were terrible days and many long stories between point A and B there. But his peace was always there. I knew an answer was coming, and and I knew he had me, and, and he was holding me. 
And oh my goodness, I think just right now I'm realizing how that all fits together, why it was an angel's wing that I saw, mm-hmm. why it's what he, what he showed me, because here I my eyes are opened and I see what has been holding me. I, uh-huh. I felt it. I always felt like I was being held by God. And yet, yeah, and there it was. Oh, uh, lovely. Holding yeah. Me. yeah. I'm not sure if I've ever put that together again, or did I ever before and I just forgot? I don't know. <laughs> it's beautiful. But you say your angel was both material and non-material. He had substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. He had substance, but what he was made of, or made out of rather, was something that didn't exist on earth. Right. Something completely foreign. And I was fascinated by it. I know you already mentioned it, but describe the structure of the wing? The only things that I have ever read which come close to describing it are visions in the Bible. You know, Ezekiel's vision of the angels, um, the visions of holy Jerusalem coming down from God. Um, There's this physicality, but, but these, you know, in Revelation where it talks about, you know, the different stones and that are on this beautiful new Jerusalem. And it's all, of course, symbolic, but, you know, yeah, probably what I saw was symbolic. I don't mean to kind of stutter there, but it, but it is a realm that um, we don't have, like, I might be repeating myself. We don't have vocabulary for mm. it. Is, it is different than everything we know here. Um, I, and I, I actually, I have, you know, it, it, it back then when I was first kind of grappling with it, I was laying in bed for weeks healing after this. It was a tremendous surgery. I mean, I was opened up from top of my head to the bottom of my neck, and it was quite excruciating recovering from it. Um, but I was, as soon as I could see well enough to hold a book to read, I was going through the different visions in the Bible and just crying because I understood how hard it was for these men to describe what they'd seen. I was just crying with them, just saying, I know. And and they did such a good job. You know, it was like molten glass. It was like barrel. It was like amber. It was like, you know, and yet it emanated light. And God was the light that, you know, that made it, you know, that emanated through it. And, and I, I just have tears pouring down my face saying, yes, yes, all of that. Um, but, you know, it isn't, it isn't the creation. It's, or at least it isn't the fallen creation, you know. Mm. And I, I can only speculate what the creation looked like before the fall. And I, I wonder about that sometime because... You know, what I wrote about there also is when I was back in my hospital room post-op, looking outside and it striking me so intently that it literally caused just grief in in my heart that the light was gone from creation. It was, I saw that it was so broken and fallen. It was like that. Where's all the? Where's the light? Yeah, it's missing. It's not. Yeah, and that bothered me for a long time. Whenever I'd go outside and walk around, I, I st- I'm still aware of it. I see it, and yeah. I think, "Where's your light? Turn the light back on." You know, because I think the creation was originally that way. It may still be there, and it just may be that our nature doesn't allow us to see it right now. That's very possible. You also said uh, about where the setting where you were beyond the angel was silent, pure blackness. Mm -hmm. So there is that too, silent, pure blackness. It was just nothing, or at least nothing that God wanted to show me. You Mm. know, I keep coming back to that because one friend that I consulted when I was putting my book together was uh, theologian David Needham. And I've communicated with him a few times over the years. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. If if I can sell a book here, Birthright Christian, do you know who you are? 
this man, if you have any question about your identity as a Christian, he's put together just a masterpiece, in my opinion. So I contacted him and I quoted his book extensively in the end because he takes you away from one of his quotes, and I have it in my book, is, did the scriptures really only make sense once the theologians tore them apart and pasted them back together again? You know, I don't know if that grabs you like it grabs me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, having gone through seminary, I know how theologians can tear things Apart. You know, and you can piece them together however you want to, can't you? Yeah. Um, and but- I did a show earlier, and I, I have to mention this now since you brought it up. But when Thomas Aquinas, who was the father of the church and wrote and wrote and wrote, mm-hmm. at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, he had a vision. He had what would be like an out-of-body or near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And he said, everything I've written is just straw. And he stopped writing. He said he there wasn't, he wasn't going to finish his magnum opus because he'd seen the real reality. Okay. Two things. Finish my thought on David Needham real quick. Okay. One question I asked him about was the three heavens, you know, Paul's three heavens. Yes. And his his response to me, because I had this long articulated question and he comes back, you know, how real, real intelligent people can put everything together in one sentence so nicely. And you think, why couldn't I have done that? (laughs) (laughs) He responds with, Spiritual mechanics, question mark. It was longer than that, but one thing that stood out to me, spiritual mechanics, Hmm. question mark. Because, you know, we try to mechanize even the supernatural, don't we? Oh, my God, that just set me free. Spiritual mechanics? Wow. Yeah, of course. So, I don't know. I don't know some of these things. If that grabs me, I don't know if that grabs me. <laughs> well, because we're because we're physical beings and part of the creation. Yeah, ourselves. we want to mechanically understand uh, how. Yeah, that's what that's what drives science. It's always asking why and how. Yeah, and, and God if, gave us that. Right? Yeah. God gave us that. We want to understand. And, and and even even you, when you were over there, you you write. I knew that he, being the angel, I knew that he and everything else was made out of light. Mm -hmm. So you're you're looking at the construct of it too. Light was a substance. You say light light was life, Mm -hmm. or life life was light. Yes. Yeah. You're you're trying to define it by what you already know. Yes, exactly. That's what we do. You know, here's our our totality of our knowledge. We need to try to compare it against that to try to make some sort of sense of it to reckon with it in our mind. But back to your Thomas Aquinas quote, um, as I, one of the most, one of the most powerful things um, for me after the experiences I was healing was um, this sensation. Number one, just being in a physical body again. Did you experience that? The, the oddness of being in a physical body again? Oh, yes, because I I had just drowned. So I was my body was a mess when I came back. Yeah, but that that you were something different from your body that you were. Oh, oh, yes. Well, I was outside looking at my body. So you're you're back in it. And it's like, okay, you you boy, if it was ever not clear before, it's very clear now. Yes, this is not me. This is something I live inside of. And I'm able to control it but this is not essentially who I am. And that's that sensation. I mean, and, you know, with brain damage as well, um, I almost felt like, like a little being up inside of here, trying to remote control my limbs to make them work. And, um, but uh, getting back to my point about Thomas Aquinas, uh, that when I would speak and I had, I mean, okay, I had heaven, in my in my mind, in my consciousness, if you will, it, that's this was where I had been. I couldn't. You can't escape that. That is so overwhelming, and you want to open your mouth and you want to speak about it, and um, and it has to go through flesh to get here. And I felt so constrained, and I felt like. You know, like like the prophet in the Old Testament, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, I just, I would speak and it was the holiness 
of everything that I wanted to express, that I wanted to share, was hindered. Mm. It was hindered by my this fallen physicality. It just it couldn't get through into this realm. So I could really relate to what what you just said, Thomas Aquinas said there. Oh, well, there is, uh, and I think a lot of people who've had experiences like Carl Jung, for instance, had a near-death experience. Many people have, uh, who, who were brilliant on, in this world became uh, intensely more brilliant by a quick visit to the next. It does affect intelligence, doesn't it? Yeah, and sometimes you come back with, some people come back, I didn't, but some people come back with incredible gifts, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy, uh-huh. uh, gifts of the, of the, the the Holy Spirit just seems to say, "Oh, you're, this is the right person to be able to to heal by touch, for instance, or something mm-hmm. like that." Yeah. But but the important thing is not the gift. The, the important thing is the understanding that you gain. Yes, absolutely. That you see the world differently. You yeah. see the world differently. You see people differently, and it can be very lonely, frankly. Doesn't it add such depth of meaning? For oh instance, goodness. when Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world, when you mm-hmm. understand that light and life are so powerfully interchangeable that they are actually coexist and are, are the same thing. They are the same. I am then, the light of the world. Yeah. yeah. Then it's not just a fancy phrase or, or a, a, mm-hmm. you know, something pleasant to hear. It is a deep theological statement. It has tangible meaning to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you realize light is life. And he is the light. Yeah, it's profound. It was really encouraging when I went onto Ian's website and I saw the list of after effects of people mm-hmm. that have had near-death experiences. And I could so relate to them all. You know, to just feel like, okay, you know, I'm I mean, I knew that my experience was true and everything, but just that I didn't doubt it, but just that I wasn't alone that other people, you know, that this was happening to other people. And it, and I really think it's like a, it's a reality check almost, isn't it? That we see, we've been so um, indoctrinated, I think, through, you know, empiricism with, you know, with the naturalism, naturalistic science around the, I guess it really set in what around the early 1900s, turn of the century, where naturalism really became the, common belief that people were educated with, I think it robbed us of the supernatural because that was relegated to the realm of superstition, right? And so now we're all like, wow, there's a supernatural. We're, you know, we're <laughs> <laughs> and people struggle so much with this, you know, mm-hmm. is there an afterlife? Well, oh my goodness, of course there is. Yeah. You know, I mean, what, you think this is it? <laughs> <laughs> and I think people in times gone by that was more widely understood and I think that while, you know, the scientific method and curiosity about the world we live in is a wonderful thing and a God-given thing, I think it's done us a disservice in as far as, you know, the, what is it, naturalistic, naturalism has really, you know, infiltrated it, that this is all, and you know, brought about this empiricism that we live in where people go through their entire lives thinking that, you know, working nine to five and getting the big house and the big car and having a good retirement, that that's life. And then you're done, call it a wrap and off you go to your grave. Mm. I can't understand that. (laughs) Well, you don't, you don't have to. (laughs) Can you you really live in that? (laughs) I don't well, like, lots of, oh, I'm so sad that they've, that they've been <laughs> blocked off from knowing more than that. There's so much beyond that. It's just sad. It just breaks my heart. It's all around us. Between yeah. nature, between a walk in the woods and the Holy Spirit raining down, we are totally connected if we want to be. It's there. It's right there waiting for us. All we have to do is open our heart to it. All you have to do is choose you. And Jesus, he made the way. He made the way and he made the sacrifice, which, you know, restores man to his creator. And because of him, because of his sacrifice, the perfect, holy sacrifice, 
who, you know, the man who was not a mere man born of man and woman, but he was God. And he proved it by rising from the grave. You know, this because of this incredible sacrifice, anybody can just say, okay, I give up fighting this stuff on my own. I just, I choose to believe you. Thank you. You know, and that's all it is. It's just repenting from believing all this. And I believe God and what you did for me through your son. That's but it. before we overlook it, we have to acknowledge the fact that all of the prayers that were being said gives us an active participation in your event. So tell mm -hmm. us about that. Tell us the about the petition. Yeah. Oh, yes. First of all, I was, I was sitting up on the wing, with that, which in itself, that was amazing because I expected to be laying on my face, having my back of my head operated on for some reason. I didn't know that you sit up during brain surgery, but you do. So I was sitting up and, um, and as I was just in awe of this holiness around me, oh my goodness. And uh, about the time I was puzzling over that, that spot on the wing, I felt a tingle in my leg. And it struck me, suddenly I was between two worlds. I, suddenly I realized I was in, they were still working on me. I knew the surgeon now, he, he was behind me, he was working on my head and something was going on there. And so that was, I mean, yeah, try to, a little woman's mind, try to, you know, wrestle with all this and make some sense of it. Um, but it called my attention to the left and I looked down and I saw all these people. And the people from where I was, they appeared different than they do here, the way we see people. They were more like silhouettes, but they were three-dimensional, made of dark and light particles, mixtures of dark and light particles, enough light particles that I could see facial features, difficult again to describe. Um, but I was seeing them in a way that showed me it was a different world. It was a different composition than where I am. And as they moved around and they were talking to each other and I saw some of their facial gestures, I was wondering what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And that was when I heard a voice and it was the same voice that I heard at the refrigerator door. And he said, the multitude is petitioning for you. Excuse me. And, um, his voice was so beautiful. I mean, it was the most soothing, most gorgeous voice I've ever heard. And the comfort that I heard just felt just by hearing him was beyond words. But then looking at these people and realizing their prayers were being entertained by God and I was being told about it was, oh, my word prayers. God hears our prayers. Oh, my word. And uh, a few seconds later, I kept watching them just overwhelmed that so many, because there were so many of them. It was amazing to me. The multitude. I found out later, because, you know, Mike was working with Petra. And so they had called out the guard prayer wise. <laughs> <laughs> Petra knows everybody. So they, I mean, 700 club was praying for me and I heard back and, and others, big groups. There were large prayer chains going for me. It literally was a multitude that were praying for me. I mean, and so a short time later, I heard the voice again. And this time um, it said it was, it was like an announcement like he was making a declaration and, and he said, the petition is granted. And I mean, that instant, I heard hospital sounds. That instant, it was over. I was back in this world. And I heard the, the nurses fussing around me and I had three or four people around me working on me. Don't know what they were doing, but messing with me. And I'm squeezing my eyes shut because I don't want to be here. You know, I don't want to, 
<laughs> like, no, I was in heaven. <laughs> you know? I mean, I when I was there, you know, I'd, I'd thought about my family. They'll miss me and, you know, and whatnot, and they'll be sad. But it was just a brief thought because I know God will take care of them. They'll be all right. You know, I just, I didn't want to leave there. I just wanted to know what was coming next mm-hmm. because I knew this was just like a transitional place where I was. And I wanted to see heaven. I wanted to see Jesus. I wanted, you know, everything that was coming. And instead, here I am back in this hospital and I'm squeezing my eyes shut. And I, I literally, I'm saying I was in heaven. I was in heaven. And I hear one nurse saying, she keeps saying she was in heaven. <laughs> and um, and uh, this one, the one nurse that was here on my right side, she gently takes my hand in hers. And I remember, I don't remember her face, but I, I, I remember the feeling of her hand holding my hand. And she said to me in her deep Southern drawl, she says to me, sweetie, you are at Skyline Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. We are not letting you go to heaven today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, very firm. You are not going to heaven today. No. So I was back. It had been decision. The, the petition was granted. I yes. was back, and that was that. You know? And that it was, was on account of all those praying. And so we, yes. we as in our human bodies, can participate in spiritual events if we have a mind to do it. The question uh, is faith. The question is, do you believe something beyond, you know, do you believe in God beyond the yeah. realm? Yeah. There is one gift, a major gift that you mentioned in your book, the sins that had weighed on me throughout my life on earth were now less than a memory. Yeah. What a gift to be completely forgiven mm-hmm. at that point. Sin just can weigh a person down, regret and guilt and failure and mm-hmm. disappointment that you've caused in other people. And so you had a you had a version of a life review when you remembered what had happened on earth and and yeah, that never put was that lifted together. completely. I never put that together until you mentioned that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you're right. And you actually experienced your salvation, you say. Yes. The best way I could explain it at the time was that I was actually experiencing my salvation. Wow. Yeah, wow is right. And then to come back into this realm and have people try to shackle you with your Mm -hmm. past again is interesting. It doesn't happen so easily anymore, I'll tell you that much. But then you you have the capacity to forgive them for that. Of course. Which is another opportunity that is for another you. Huge <laughs> yeah, which, which is a, yes, it's ultimately, from, but um, the capacity to forgive is so much greater. Yeah, I, we talk about after effects, insatiable curiosity. I now wanted to understand everything like a two-year-old or something. I, you know, <laughs> I, think, I mean, I even read, you know, increased intelligence. And I'm like, I don't want to say I'm more intelligent, but maybe I am. I know you've explored lots of different avenues. Let, mm-hmm. let me put it that way mm-hmm. on your website. Mm-hmm. One of the ones I wanted to talk about, because uh, this is one I concur with, is the meta thing. So tell us about the meaning of meta and how it relates to virtual reality. Oh, meta in the Hebrew uh, is translated, it's it's death. You had your your wife, I think, had a, the, the feminine... Yes. I don't have the definition memorized anymore. It's a feminine version of death, correct? Mm, that's what she told it was, me. It was a while ago that I that I put that together. Um, and I put a lot of things together, and they don't all stay in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cl- clearly, Facebook hasn't put it together, at least. Uh, no, they, they have not. And so, they okay, hadn't when they renamed themselves. Well, isn't that cute, though? So they're calling <laughs> themselves Meta. So what are they planning to do? There, yeah. I mean, we can go into this interior yeah. agenda of attempting to meld, you know, man with human. This whole transhumanist insanity, which I mean, my goodness, you cannot mix. They can mess with our physical bodies. They can mess even with our thoughts, and it's been proven they can do that. You know, with with mice and whatnot, they can inject thoughts into them, and they've probably they always are able to do more than they let us know they're able to do, right? Um, but they cannot touch our spirit. They cannot, and that's you know that's where I always. 
you know, people come to me, a lot of people write into me, you know, well, you know, oh, but what about this terrible thing that they're doing and this horrible thing that they're doing? And is this the mark of the beast? And you know what I mean? All these fear, fear, fear. And granted, many things that are going on in the world are terrifying. You know, I, I understand that. But um, this world is not our home. You know, um, the creation has fallen. I firmly believe that God will create make he's promised a new heaven and a new earth a new creation where there will be no evil that evil will be judged and gone forever um but um yeah the meta is just one small piece of what i've found is a massive um undertaking of attempting to um integrate basically man with machine you know for you know to just overlay some grossly overly simplify it a friend just sent me a text a few minutes before we came on and i was like what um they now have um they've now scientists are now it was announced on nbc i guess they now have worms which are nano technology that they're able to control which are designed to go into and infiltrate the human brain. NBC. This is not some quirky conspiracy theory. <laughs> you know, it's not fringe. This is NBC. <laughs> Interesting. So, so it's like, uh-huh. So we're trying to do <sighs> Yeah, and ultimately, yes, they're trying to take over mankind from with this, these horrible physical ultimate fascism. Thank you. The ultimate, the creme de la creme of control, right? But I always come back with, but our faith, but these bodies are not who we are. Yes. And there's blessing in the creation still as well. Mm -hmm. I wanted to read a paragraph you wrote in your book after this, going through this whole event. The one place where I felt completely confident and at peace was at the creek where Bell and Zion, your chow chows, and I would go and sit sometimes for hours each day watching nature declare the glory of God. Mm -hmm. I was in awe at how much God reveals about himself in his creation, from trees being designed like our own circulatory system to the joy of water in the creek that playfully skips over the obstacles it encounters, each one making it alter its course to become even more beautiful, to the birds, deer, squirrels eating, gathering and playing, each bringing an important lesson about life. My loyal companions, so regal, so innocent, drank it all in with me, also aware of the beauty before them. Our time at the creek was my sanctuary away from all the questions that plagued me about this fallen world. Amen. Amen. Oh, now you really got me going. <laughs> well, you got me. And we <laughs> Just your words. Yeah. I'm reading back to you. Yvonne, we're, sadly, we are out of time. Okay. That's a lovely point to end on. Yeah. Well, I thought it was. I was very touched when I came on it in your book. So thank you so much. Tell folks how they could get a copy of your book, if you would. Yeah, it's the name of the book is Glimpse of Glory, and it is a critical examination of near-death experiences by an by an NDE is the subtitle, because I, I had a lot of questions when I came back and <laughs> I spent five years putting together, you know, my questions and conclusions. And you can find it on Amazon, just um, Glimpse of Glory and Yvonne Noctigal, and, and you'll pull it up. And I will dare to uh, ask you to tell them about your website. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Be sitting down when you turn to her website. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't stay in the box. Let's just <laughs> You certainly do not. I'm not afraid to push the limits <laughs> and look outside of the box. It's christianobserver.net. And um, it's actually doing fairly well now. I've got quite a few, uh, quite a bit of uh, visitors that come each day. So a lot of people that are, these things are really resonating with them, be they indie ears or looking at spirituality differently from other, you know, things in their lives, what, what's brought them to these same questions. You know, I'm not there to proselytize anyone. 
I'm just one woman that's really asking questions and really wanting to get back to the simplicity, the truth of God and the gospel and Jesus Christ. And even though you see some might look intimidating at first time. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're that, pushing, that, is my, that is my bottom line. You, you are pushing, <laughs> pushing the limits of reality. Well, I que- but, I que- yeah, I question science. But science you, you do. do. You certainly do. Anyway, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks, Yvonne. This has been, this has been wonderful precious. talking with you. <laughs> If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 470 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app and listen again next Monday. 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>